0: that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. As you have heard from time to time, and not only in our standard bear and other media, but also in our bulletin, today our churches, the churches of the Protestant Reformed denomination, are celebrating some 50 years of their ecclesiastical existence. <clears throat> About 50 years ago, this month, month of March to be exact, there was what we may call a Reformation. The Mother Church, uh, at that time, showed signs of liberalism. There were many who were tired of the old and tried doctrines that had been preached to them for many years, and they wanted to become big, big in the eyes of the world, also the ecclesiastical world. And this liberal element, which at that time, 50 years ago, became a majority of the church, prevailed upon the church to go in the direction of Harmonianism, which was also then popular in the church world. Witness the doctrine of common grace, which was produced at that time, and particularly the first point of the three, which emphasize that God uh, desires to save all men and offers salvation unto all men in the preaching of the gospel. And the Lord at that time preserved in the midst of that liberal church uh, a remnant. I did not want to go along with that liberalism, and certainly not with the Arminianism as it had been formulated and expressed in the first point of the Synod of 1924. And they protested against this in the church, but to no avail. And as you may remember, they were expelled from the church because of their stance their reformed stance which was also admitted at that time and so there was formed a reformed church a reformatory church a reformation church and this was so Thoroughly in the minds of our leaders in that day that they told us, and we still hear it, we hark back to the Reformation of the 16th century. Consequently, they called themselves, and therefore that is now our name, the Protestant Reformed Churches of America. For 50 years, these churches have maintained and taught the truth of the scriptures in its purest manifestation, always emphasizing the cardinal doctrines of Calvinism, as they are so beautifully expressed in the letters of the flower tulip total depravity, unconditional election or predestination, if you will, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance or perseverance of the saints. These cardinal doctrines, have been and still are emphatic in all the preaching and teaching of the Protestant Reformed Churches to this very day. Not only so did they maintain the truths of God's Word and the doctrines of the Reformation, but they were also insistent upon it that there should be in conformity with this doctrine life. That could bear away approval and blessing of God and therefore also insisted upon it that these churches maintain reformed church polity in the exercise of Christian discipline so that our churches were preserved through this means from amalgamating with all of the worldly organizations, and of keeping our churches as much as it was possible in line with the scriptures in a godly walk. Now, of course, when we come to 50 years of existence and time to celebrate, it is almost quite natural that we would take this opportunity to boast in ourselves. When I look back on that history, there are many things, of course, (coughs) in which you might be inclined to boasting. It was predicted at that time, fifty years ago, that we wouldn't last very long. We would die a natural death with our leaders, but here we are, still today, going strong. And we have also gone through many struggles, strikes, in these fifty years, and always we came out of the strife victoriously. Not only have we preserved the truth and the preaching of the gospel in our churches, but we have also preserved it in our seminary, which God has given to us and in which we may also, if we are inclined to boast in self be able to thank ourselves today that we were able to raise enough money to almost pay for the whole business—150,000 dollars, wrong figures. We have our own Christian schools, not only in the elementary grades but also a high school, and almost throughout the nation, we have churches. With schools where these truths may be inculcated, indoctrinated into our covenancy. Not only do we raise up these buildings which cause considerable money, but we also are able to man them with teachers. And of course, if you want to boast, you say today, that we certainly have made tremendous progress. But I'd like to remind you this morning, beloved, that when you look back, and I'm able to do that, I'm just old enough to be able to look back to before the beginning, then I tell you that there are moments in which we are brought very low and should be in our own estimation. Almost a year and a half after our beginning, we had strife among the leaders. There's nothing to boast of, I tell you. One of the three original leaders of our Protestant Reformed Churches stubbornly uh, maintained his position and left our churches. Took along with him congregation and a majority of the students that were in the seminary at that time quite a blow. Well, you could probably say, well, we survived, but I just want to point out to you that it wasn't all truth and righteousness that was in our history. And many of you, most of you, perhaps sitting here this morning, recall very definitely the history of 1953, At that time, and prior to that time, we were at the point of boasting in ourselves how big we were. I remember distinctly sitting at a synod where we had opportunities to send delegates to reform synods in Edinburgh, Scotland, and in Amsterdam. And we even appointed delegates to go to those synods. And I can still see the proud feathers of peacocks sprouting out at that synod. In the very same year, God decimated our numbers to less than half. When half of our ministers left us and returned with their flocks, the majority of them to the Mother Church, embracing the doctrine of conditionalism, there's nothing to be proud of that history, I tell you. And right here in this church, this particular church, 1962. There's another episode that I'm sure will never be emblazoned upon the history of this church as commendatory when some 35 families with their pastor left us to return to the fold from whence they had come. And you know, when you look at yourself, and you see your own inclination to go along with these systematic movements, which are always popular, it isn't popular, you know, and, nor does it feel good for the flesh to sit in a little church like this, when you could sit in one where they have maybe twelve, fourteen hundred people sitting in the audience, big show big choirs, beautiful buildings. To this very day, we're only 20 congregations, and every one of them are relatively small in number. We don't have anything in which we can really boast in ourselves. And certainly, not before the church world. We are small and I predict that's the way we're going to stay. It will always be that way. As soon as we become big, then we better watch out. And so, beloved, this morning it certainly behooves us not to glory in ourselves, but in our God. Our God who has so wonderfully revealed unto us his covenant faithfulness, and it is his name that must be exalted and extolled today and throughout our churches in this year of anniversary celebration. And I thought that there was no more beautiful passage of Scripture to call to your attention this truth than that which we have chosen for this morning. I received from uh, the committee that has been sponsoring the celebration a a number of texts. And they were all nice texts. And especially I was attracted to Psalm 89, which when you get home by and by at the table, you just read it. It's a long psalm, but you just read it. Almost every verse speaks of the covenant faithfulness of God. But I, of all the passages which were suggested, I found none that I liked more than this, and this one was not suggested. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God the faithful God. Now, I'm not so sure that this translation does justice to the text. And if I were to translate it literally, it would read something like this. Know thou that Jehovah thy God, he is the God, the strong one, the faithful one. And notice the article with, with each of these names. The. Thy God. He is the God. He is the strong one. He is the faithful one who keepeth the covenant and the mercy to those loving and keeping his commandments to the thousandth generation. Not to a thousand generations, but to the thousandth Generation. That's our text. And I call your attention under this word of God to the thought acknowledging Jehovah's faithfulness. And notice, first of all, Israel's God. Moses, of course, is talking here to Israel. Know ye that the Lord, Jehovah, is your God, Israel's God, in the second place, to his faithfulness, and thirdly, to our acknowledgment of his faithfulness, acknowledging Jehovah's faithfulness, Israel's God, his faithfulness, and our acknowledgment of his faithfulness. I call your attention to these names of God that are presented to us in this text. First of all, to the name Jehovah, which is translated here, Lord. Jehovah, as you have heard many times, beloved, means literally the I am that I am. And that implies, first of all, that God is the eternal God. When he says, I am that I am, that means I didn't become. There was no point in history when I became God. I always was. And I still am. And I always will be. He is from everlasting. That, first of all. In the second place, this term Jehovah. I am that I am implies that he is the immutable God. That means he never changes. He is now what he always was and he shall always be what he is. That's the implication. He is the eternal, the unchangeable, Jehovah, the I am that I am. And what is so peculiar about this name is, and you've heard this too, I'm sure, many times, is that it is in this particular name that he associates himself to his people. He does not appear to the nations of the world around about his people in this name Jehovah, but peculiarly to them. You read this, too, in the in the immediate context, which is very important here, and I, and I call your attention to it. You read in verse 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord, or that is, unto Jehovah thy God. Thou art a holy people unto Jehovah thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people, that are upon the face of the earth. And notice, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. This love And this covenant release which God has established to his people can never find its ground and its cause in that people. But in Jehovah himself, he set his love upon you. He chose you. Because he, Not because ye were more in number than other people. The fact of the matter is ye were the least, the smallest. But he chose you. Because the Lord loved you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers. As the Lord brought you out of the mighty hand, he delivered you out of the house of bondage. He showed his mercy unto you by delivering you from your misery unto the highest possible good. Faithful God who keeps his word. He swore with an oath and he will keep what he swore. He's the faithful God. I also call your attention to the fact that the text also, speaking still of Israel's God, calls our attention to it that he is also the strong one. That doesn't come out in this translation. He just simply, the text simply says here, uh, the faithful God. He is the God. He is the God. And what is translated he is the God is, in the original, the strong one. That means that his is all power, and therefore he is called again and again in the Bible, the Almighty. That means that there is no might, there is no power not only the power of might, but also the power of authority, or it is of him. His is all the power. He is the strong one. Moreover, the text also calls him Elohim. Now, in the Hebrew that is plural, the gods. Now, doesn't mean that God is more than one. God is one. No question about that. But you find that name in the plural because it wants to emphasize his majesty. He is majestic. He is above all gods. In fact, if there are any gods beside him, he must uphold them in his hand or they would not continue to be. He's a majestic Jehovah. The faithful, the strong God. The faithful one who keeps his word. He is a God of truth. Now that's the description that is given to us in this text. Now mind you, this is First of all, Israel's God. Israel, that people that God had just recently delivered through the hand of Moses out of Egypt, the house of bondage. Israel's God. Now you understand, of course, when we say that, we must do that with tongue in cheek. That certainly doesn't mean That Jehovah, this faithful, strong, majestic God, is the God of the wicked in Israel. He isn't. Not by his own intention, nor by theirs. God is not the God of the reprobate. He's not the God of Esau. Not according to his own intention nor according to Esau's intention. And therefore you read again and again in the Bible when you read of Israel, they are not all Israel that are called Israel. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And undoubtedly that scripture means to imply that Israel is not that which is according to the flesh, but that which is according to the Spirit. And therefore, believing Israel. And of that believing Israel, there is always in the midst of that nation that God set apart from all the nations of the world a remnant according to the election of grace that honors and magnifies, exalts Jehovah their God as the faithful one. And that God of Israel, beloved, and this is the point that you and I have to see this morning, and our children who are sitting here this morning, that God is our God. That God of Israel is the God of the believing church today. I can't take the time this morning to delineate that truth, and I know it is denied on every hand, especially among the Baptists and among the premillennialists. But as you know, and if you've been thoroughly instructed through these 50 years, you will understand that the Church is one in all generations and dispensations. She is essentially one. Oh, it may be that for a time you found these people of God in a particular nation among the Jews. That is true, historically. But on the day of Pentecost, that Israel is spread out into all nations. And that doesn't mean Israel only according to the flesh. But God has his people in all nations, whether they are Jew or Gentile. That is the Israel of God. And this is the church today. This is the Protestant Reformed church today, consisting of the believers and their seed in their generations. And to that church, it must be said, this God, this God, who is the only true Jehovah, the eternal God, the strong one, the faithful, unchangeable God who keepeth covenant forever. He is our God, and there is none beside him. (laughs) In the second place, I must call your attention to the fact that he is the faithful God and point out to you his faithfulness. You understand, of course, that this faithfulness of God is grounded in the context, according to the context, in his love that is upon you, and in the fact that he has chosen you. In other words, this faithfulness of God must be understood in his having loved us from everlasting and therefore has chosen us from all eternity. So that The eternal love of God, that predestinating love, must be understood as the ground or basis for his faithfulness to us. And according to the context, and I have in mind especially verse 8, God swore, this faithful, eternal Jehovah swore with an oath that he would remember Abraham, who in his generations must go to Egypt, the house of bondage, and who would return from that bondage to his own land which the Lord had given him and to his seed forever. God swore with an oath, first of all to himself as the triune God, but also through his word to Abraham, I will be your God and ye shall be my people, saith the Lord your God. I will bless you. I will keep my word to you, even though in your history you are going to be tried and tested in the crucible of affliction. You will be in misery and bondage in Babylon so that it will look as if you are going to be snuffed out as a people. I am going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my word unto you. I'm going to bring you back from that bondage and bring you to your own land. And I'm going to shower upon you all my covenantal blessings. And that's what this whole chapter is about. You remember when we read it together? The Lord says, You're gonna here you are in your land. Now you be sure that you remain faithful people to me, that you love me and keep my commandments. And that must mean that you're going to destroy all of the inhabitants of the land, all the ites and tights that are here. You're going to destroy them, even though they are bigger than you are as far as numbers and power is concerned. And you mustn't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't say, oh, because they are bigger and mightier than we, we cannot overcome them and get them out of this land. Don't be afraid of them. You hear my word. I keep my oath. I'm going to see to it that if you are faithful and you discharge your calling faithfully, I'm going to preserve you according to the word that I have given in my covenant that I set up with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. I'm going to be your God, and ye are going to be my people, such Jehovah thy God. And this whole context is full of it. You may marry them, the children of the land. If you do that, there's a grave danger that you're going to be like them. And, you know, beloved, you know, when you study the history of that people, this is just exactly what they always wanted to do. And that's so humiliating to that people, you understand? If it were not that God was on our side and God delivered us, that's exactly what we would do all the time. That's so horrible, too, you know, this year of celebration. You better celebrate that, too, that you and I, as Israel was, are always inclined to go away from this Jehovah. We don't like him. We don't want to be in the pressure cooker. We want to be free. We want to serve and to seek and to enjoy that which satisfies our flesh. And so our young daughters run off and they get the boys of the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Amorites, and there they go. And the young girls from the Perizzites and the Amorites and whatever you have, they all come in the church and there your church goes. That's History. And this doesn't mean that the Lord teaches us in his word that we must be physically separated from the world. That's impossible. But spiritually, and I want to say that to you young people this morning, you young girls and you young boys, remember this. God has set you apart historically as his people his covenant people, and he says, have no part with the world. Be spiritually distinct. Love me and keep my commandments. And I bless you. I'm a faithful Jehovah. I keep my word. That's what we have to see here. He's a faithful God who keeps his covenant and not one word that he has spoken shall fail. Not one word. Oh, there may be times when you are inclined to think that he has forgotten his word. I visited with one of our members here last week, who was pretty much down in the dumps, I tell you. Probably is today, too. She's going into the hospital again. You say to her, well, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is sending this to you for your good, you know. But, oh, that's so hard to understand. And especially if that hand is always pressing upon us and there doesn't seem to be any way out. And this is what happens again and again in our own experience. It seems sometimes not that the Lord is faithful and that He's for us, but that He is even against us. That's the way it looks often. But He isn't. He's faithful. We are unfaithful, and it is precisely when we are unfaithful that we forget about his faithfulness, and then we seek for our deliverance with an arm of flesh. In the world. We look for it in the bank account. We look for it in social security. We look for it in the prosperous business. We even look for it in our children. Sometimes they get carried along with this same worldly, carnal philosophy, which we often demonstrate. And of course, they can't come to any other conclusion than that this God whom we serve from Sabbath to Sabbath, well, he's some kind of an idol up there that we just show some respect to, but for the rest, you can forget about him. We go our own way. But we must see here this morning, beloved, and in this year of celebration, that in spite of our wickedness and our shortcomings, our carnality, our failure, Jehovah is faithful. He's the faithful covenant God. Ah. And therefore, not we, but he should receive all the praise and the glory. He loved us. Oh, when I think about that, Long before I ever was. From all eternity he loved me. I can't understand that. Can you? Wicked people that we are. We've been sinners from the womb. We still sin and all sin so greatly. He loved us. How can that be? But he did. And in that love he chose us. He inscribed us in the palm of his hand. Isaiah 49, verse 16. I have engraved thee in the palm of my hand. You're very near to me. You're very precious to me. I have made you to become a holy people, you who were so unholy. I have taken all your sins and I've washed them in the blood of my Son. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I have justified you. You couldn't justify yourself. Not by any works of righteousness would you perform. I have saved you. And I give unto you my word. I have a heaven of eternal life and glory where you are going to dwell. And nothing, nothing shall stop me. In realizing my purpose, isn't that wonderful? He's a faithful Jehovah. Our text <coughs> says, "Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is the God, and so forth." And it might leave you with the impression that this is what you ought to know. (coughs) And, of course, we have no dispute about that. This is precisely what we ought to know. But I take it that the Word of God here wants us not only to know that Jehovah is the faithful God, covenant-keeping God, but to acknowledge this. And Moses says here, know ye therefore that Jehovah is thy God. He means to say, you must acknowledge this. You must confess this. You must say this, not only to yourself and to your uh, fellows, but to the whole world, to everybody. Acknowledge. That this Jehovah, who is the faithful covenant God, is your God, whom you love, and whose commandments you desire to keep unto the thousandth generation. That's our text. Oh, you understand. You can't acknowledge Jehovah as your faithful covenant God unless you know him. And not simply with intellectual knowledge which you have accumulated through the many years of instruction, either in catechism or under the preaching of his word. Important as that intellectual knowledge may be. But with the knowledge of faith, spiritual knowledge, a face which ties you to him with an unbreakable bond. No, that is acknowledge him, acknowledge him. Say unto yourself and to your children and to your church. And to all the world, this God is our God, and he will be our God, even unto death. And then, of course, you don't just say that with your your mouth. But you seal that testimony with a godly life that is in perfect harmony. With your faith, and that must mean, beloved, that you honor Him who keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments. Now, this isn't conditional. It isn't. The meaning is not that the Lord will love you and such His. Uh, Steam upon you if you will keep his commandments and reciprocate his love that's not the meaning never is but the idea is that when you acknowledge that this Jehovah is your God that you do that out of faith you confess it then that must mean that in your heart there is the love of God Not only that he loved you, but he caused the love of him to dwell in you, the nature of which always is that it responds to his love. And it does that not only in word, so that it says unto God, I love thee. Oh, no. It also does that by sealing that love with a godly walk. That is in harmony with the commandments of God, which we also love, because we love God. This is what you have to see, and this is what our children have to see. You don't just come to church and say, oh, precious Jesus, I love thee. Oh, no. You say, I love thee because thou hast first loved me and hast shed abroad thy love in my heart. That always responds to thee. And that love of thee to me is that thou hast everlastingly had the desire that I should be perfect as thou art. That's the love of God to me. And when I love God, then I desire that perfection. And I seek it with all my heart. And I do that. By responding and walking according to his good commandments. When you walk according to his good commandments. Then you walk in his love. And when you walk in his love. You acknowledge. And you say it before God and before all men. Oh Jehovah. The only true and eternal God. The majestic God. The faithful God. The strong one. In whom is all power and might. Thou art my God. And thou shalt be my God. Forever and forever. And thy covenant which thou hast sworn shall be fulfilled in me with an unbreakable oath. Thy word is faithful. That covenant, I will dwell in it forever unto the glory of thy grace. Because thou, Jehovah, hast loved me and hast set thy love upon me To be thy peculiar people. May that be the tone of our celebration, not only today, but also throughout this year. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thee who has revealed Thyself to us in such a way that we can not only know Thee, but acknowledge Thee as the God of our life and of our salvation, our covenant God. Grant that we may, in acknowledging Thee, humble ourselves and realize that we are nothing, that we are what we are only of thy sovereign mercy and grace, in order that unto thee may come all the praise and the glory, now and forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit abide with you. Amen.